In John chapter 4, Jesus describes the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verses 23 and 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now for the next few minutes, stay tuned to worship in spirit and truth with Pastor Jeff Scoggin. You know, I realized when I came to Jeremiah to, to preach in this, because I've been, we've been reading the Bible through together, and uh, I've said that I would preach from wherever we're at. I realized that I could probably go a whole pastoral career and never preach on a passage like that. It's not something that's comfortable. It's not something that's fun. It's not something that I would probably just choose out of thin air. And so I guess maybe the the discipline, could we say, of having to preach from a certain area maybe is a positive thing. I don't know. I'm trying to deal with it as delicately as it can, but God was not being delicate in these passages of Scripture. So let's just begin with prayer as we... We start. Father in heaven, as we look into this passage in Jeremiah, difficult as it is, I pray that, our, that your spirit would guide our thinking, that we would understand how strongly you feel about the way that we've treated you and how desperately you want us to return. So give us ears to, under, to hear and, and hearts to understand your heart for us in these passages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How would you like to get a letter like this from God? Dear blank, and you can just put your own name in the blank, all right? Dear Jeff, I remember your devotion when you were young, how you loved me and would follow me anywhere. You were holy, and disaster came upon anyone who harmed you. Listen to me. What was wrong with me that your family left me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless things and became worthless themselves. They didn't ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of our life of sin and led us through the barren wilderness and darkness? I brought you into a beautiful land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and dishonored my land. Your pastors didn't ask, where is the Lord? Your Bible scholars didn't know me. Your religious leaders rebelled against me. Therefore, I am bringing charges against you and your children's children. Look around you and tell me if you've ever seen anything like this. Has a country ever changed gods? No, and they're not even gods. But you have exchanged me, the only living God, For worthless possessions, you should be ashamed and shudder with horror. You have committed two sins. You have forsaken me and relied on yourselves and your weakness. You weren't born a slave. Why do you live like one? You find yourself suffering in your life. People take advantage of you. But you have brought it all on yourself by leaving the path where I had led you. So why go to the sinful world for relief? Why go to the very ones who have attacked you? Your own wickedness is your punishment. Your backsliding is your rebuke. 
Think about how bitter it is for you when you have no awe of me, almighty God. Long ago, you tore yourself free from me, saying, I will not serve you. The way you have treated me is like a wife, acting like a prostitute, cheating on her husband. I had blessed you and guided you. How did you go so wrong? You can shower and scrub all you want, but the stain of your guilt doesn't go away. You think you're innocent, but I've seen how you behave when you're on the town. Think about that. You're like a dog in heat. Who can restrain you? No one needs to go after you because you go after them. You are destroying yourself. But you say, it's no use. I love the ways of the world. I must go after them. And the letter goes on and on. Imagine receiving a letter like that from God. Well, that is, in fact, a letter from God, slightly paraphrased, obviously, that Jeremiah had to give to the people of Judah. Being a prophet is not a fun job. In fact, there is no prophet that I'm aware of that actually appreciated the job when the Lord gave it to him. Jeremiah was a young man when God called him to prophetic ministry, and he was not excited about the commission. In accepting the call, Jeremiah was denied some of the things he desired most, like family and a quiet life. Instead, like Jesus, Jeremiah was asked to be a lone voice among a people who would utterly reject and hate him. It's par for the course with prophets. God called Jeremiah to deliver the hardest of messages to a people who would refuse to listen, and when they did listen, the message provoked in them such anger that they attempted on numerous occasions to kill the messenger. So do you feel sorry for Jeremiah that God called him to such a difficult task? I do. And the truth is, is I think God probably does too. I mean, he asked a hard thing of his child. Is that unfair of God? Put it this way. Is it unfair of a general to put his soldiers in harm's way? That's difficult, But it can't be really called unfair, can it? In war, a commander orders his soldiers to do hard things. Why? Because he hates them? Because he's unfair? No. It's because desperate times call for desperate measures. He has to do it. And we're all soldiers, spiritually speaking, called upon to do hard things for our God. In desperate times, spiritual war. Are you, do, you, do you recognize, do you realize that as you go through physical life, that around you, spiritually, there is a war being waged? Most of us are not, not called to do anything like Jeremiah faced. But no soldier on the front lines is called to an easy task. We may feel like we're really sacrificing when we give up some of our precious money, or worse yet, when we have to give up some of our precious time. Not that it's really ours, but we think of it that way, which I suppose is a big part of the problem. The reality, though, is that very few of us sacrifice anything near what the situation calls for. Every soldier is called to do a dangerous and difficult work, not to mention an inconvenient work. Every soldier is called to that, but few of us answer all that faithfully. Jeremiah, though, was a faithful soldier. 
He didn't really want to do what God asked him to do, but he did it faithfully. As bad as he wanted to do something else, he trusted God that he knew what he was doing when he asked Jeremiah to speak for him. And for 40 years, 40 years, Jeremiah preached to a people unwilling to listen. I can hardly do that for an hour. And he did it for... 40 years. Jeremiah spent his nights weeping in despair, not because of the way that people treated him, which was bad enough, but because he really, truly, sincerely wanted people to listen. And they weren't. He didn't want God's judgments to fall on them any more than God wanted to send the judgments. And we might say, well, you know, if God didn't really want to send them, then maybe he just shouldn't. How did it just stop them? Don't allow them. But in reality, that would have been the real cruelty. Jeremiah pleaded with people to see that in sending judgments upon them, God was not being cruel, but precisely the opposite. God wanted to get their attention so that he could draw them back into his embrace and save them from certain and permanent destruction, which is the way they were heading. And that was the purpose of the letter that I read, which comes from Jeremiah chapter 2. Loose paraphrase of an actual message that God sent to his people long ago. You like that, long ago? Right? I mean, that's, that's a long time ago makes us feel better because that was then and now is now. Surely we're not in the same situation as Judah was back then. I mean, look at us. We're in church. We're Christians. God would have no reason to send a message like that to us, would he? But then I remember a single word in the book of Revelation that invokes the stark reality of our relationship with God today, and that's the heavily loaded word, Laodicea, right? And for those of you not familiar with that word, it's packed with meaning because it is the symbol in, in, in Revelation of our church in this day and age. The Christian church in this day and age. In Revelation 2 and 3, God has something positive to say about his church in every age throughout history. Even, note this, during the Dark Ages. During the Inquisition, God found something good to say about his church. But he mentions not one single positive aspect about his church in this age. What does that tell us? We may think that Judah had completely rejected God during Jeremiah's time because they were mixed up in idol worship and pagan Practices, But the fact is, like us, they continued to have a form of godliness. They still worshipped God in his temple. They still came to church. They still offered the required sacrifices. They still kept the feasts and even the Sabbath, in a manner of speaking. Their lips spoke a good religion. But their hearts, God said, were far from him. We dare not think that we're better off today, spiritually speaking, than the people of Jeremiah's time. In fact, I'm afraid that when we read Jesus' letter to Laodicea, we have to admit that our condition is probably worse than theirs was back then. 
These words written for Jeremiah's people are even more true for us today. So as you read Jeremiah, and we're, we're nearing the end of it, but as we read Jeremiah, recognize, realize, read it as a message from God directly to you and me. Because that's exactly what it is. So do you want to you hear the letter again? I don't. I don't, I don't like hearing that message when I have to apply it to myself. But God sends such warnings to us, not because he's angry, but because he's willing to say the most shocking things in order to get our attention. He's describing in the ugliest terms our real condition. And he's begging us to let him help. Read the messages, understand them, accept them. Jeremiah could save your life, eternally speaking. So why don't we pay more attention to the warnings that God has sent to us through Jeremiah and the other prophets? Well, there's, there's a number of reasons. One is of, of them is that we fear losing the destructive pleasures that we hold so dear. But that's not what I'm going to address today. That's not the aspect of it I'm going to address today. Today I'm going to assume that all of us actually want to listen and understand. But we honestly struggle. And how many of you, once you got to the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, kind of bogged down in your reading? I didn't mean you quit, but you kind of, you know, it's like you hit mud all of a sudden. All of a sudden you just became a, a lot harder to read. Admittedly, the prophets are confusing, often embarrassing, and even downright strange sometimes. Even for those willing to listen, the prophets can be hard to understand in our context today simply because the language and the times, they don't easily translate to our language and times. We have a difficulty making those connections. After all, we don't face the same kind of issues anymore. We don't worship other gods or visit temple prostitutes or face annihilation by Assyria or sacrifice our children in the altars to Moloch. We don't do any of that stuff. We face different issues today. Sort of. Then again, while it's true that as Christians, we most of us don't erect statues and, and bow down to them, we still have to admit that we have our versions of idols, don't we? No, we don't visit temple harlots, but we still give in to lust all the time. No, we're not faced with wholesale slaughter by Assyria, but we're still faced with the fatal consequences to our life choices and even to, to random acts of God, as they're called. No, we're not sacrificing our children on altars to Moloch, but we often sacrifice them on the altar of career or on the altar of selfishness or some other altar. So the fact is, Jeremiah still speaks to us. And with a little effort, we can learn to translate those prophetic words into our context. On the fly, as you go. It's not that hard. By employing a few keys, we can do this translation as we're reading along. Let's just switch to seminar mode for a minute, okay? And I'll brief you, briefly give you four of these keys. You might want to just jot them down. Because these keys actually work throughout Bible prophecy, Old Testament especially. When you're reading along in Jeremiah, 
and you encounter the language of faithfulness, that's key number one. The language of faithfulness. Whenever you see language of marriage and weddings and faithfulness and similar images, those are all symbols of God's relationship to us. Okay? God, through his prophets, constantly compares the ideal marriage to his relationship with us. We're his bride. He's the groom. Right? You're familiar with that. So when you're reading along in Jeremiah... And you encounter words like these, like, like, like marriage and, and um, faithfulness. You can do an instant translation in your mind of what God is talking about. He is speaking of a positive relationship between you and him. Okay? That's key number one. Marriage and faithfulness equals positive relationship. Key number two is when you see the opposite, the language of unfaithfulness. Whenever you see a language of, of adultery, prostitution, similar images like that, that's how God describes the way that we are treating him when we're unfaithful and disloyal to him, when we refuse to walk in his ways, when we refuse to obey him. Those are the symbols that God uses. Pretty rough symbols. But they're the way that God sees it. So, when you're reading along in Jeremiah and you encounter words like these, you can do an instant translation in your mind. God is speaking about a negative relationship or a loss of relationship between you and him. So that's key number two. Adultery and unfaithfulness equals a negative or non-existent relationship. Right? And key number three, the language of curses. When you see talk of disaster and war, and disease, and violence, and destruction, and suffering, and bad crops, and no rain, all these terrible things that happen. They're all symbols of God withdrawing his protection, at least to a degree, and allowing the forces of evil to have their way. So once again, when you're reading along in Jeremiah, and you encounter talk of no rain, famine, plagues, enemies, and that sort of thing, do an instant translation in your mind. God is speaking of him withdrawing, from you is protection and allowing the forces of evil to have more control, more sway. And then key number four, the last one, is the opposite once again. It's the language of blessings. When you see talk of rain and good crops and victory over enemies and joy and prosperity and those kinds of things, those are symbols of God increasing his protection and holding back and intervening against the forces of evil. So when you're reading along in Jeremiah, you encounter this constructive type of language, rain, conquering enemies, wealth, peace, and so on. You can do an instant translation that God is increasing his protection, holding back the forces of evil. That's key number four. Now, there's, there's a lot, a lot of, of symbols in prophecy if you're interested in digging deeper. But with just those four, especially in the Old Testament prophets, with just those four keys in mind, you're going to get the majority of the message that God wants to give you through the Old Testament prophets. You're going to be able to translate it to your time and context. Let's just try it briefly with our scripture reading this morning. Jeremiah chapter 3. Here it is. Difficult words here. How does it apply to us? If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now de return to me, declares the Lord? It's a question. 
So what, what language are we seeing here? Which key is this? It's the language of unfaithfulness, key number two. God is speaking of the way that we treat him when we are not being faithful, when we don't love and obey him. Translate that then, those first two verses, to our time and context. We have abandoned God. Should we expect to be able to return to him according to Deuteronomy 24? No. We should not. It's against the law for a husband and wife that divorced, if she remarried, for them to get back together again. It's against the law of Deuteronomy 24. We should not expect, once we've been unfaithful to God, we should not expect that we should be able to come back to him. That's the legitimate consequence of our unfaithfulness. By all rights, we're doomed without hope. There's good news to come, so don't panic. Verse number three. Therefore, the showers have been withheld and no spring rains have fallen. Which key is that? The language of curses, key number three. Translate that to our time and context. In response to our choices, God is withdrawing some of his protection and he is letting the forces of evil have more of their way in our lives. See what's going on here, right? This is contemporary. This is what's happening. Yet you have the brazen look of a prostitute. You refuse to blush in shame. Even though we have been disloyal to him, we don't seem to care or even admit that we've done anything wrong. Verse 4. Have you not just called to me my father, my friend from my youth? Wives back in Jeremiah's day would sometimes call their husbands my father or my master out of respect. So here's the wife, who is us, speaking to God, the husband, after all these calamities just fell on us, okay? My father, my friend from my youth, verse 5, will you always be angry? Will your wrath continue forever? Okay, we've come to God, we're unashamed, and we're saying, how long are you going to be angry with us? Will your wrath continue forever? Translation to our time and context, when disaster strikes, we come running to God as though we can butter him up so that he will begin blessing us again. But apparently we're insincere because God says, this is how you talk, but you do all the evil you can. Do you see how a more contemporary picture can emerge out of this without a lot of effort? We are cheating. We are, are being disloyal to God. And when the, the consequences of our life choices finally strike, we come running back to him without shame. Without shame. And say, dear God, please help me. Please take away these bad things that are happening. And we don't even admit that they're our own choices. They're the result, the consequences of our own choices. They're the result of our unfaithfulness to God. God has withdrawn his protection. See how it works then? Fix just a, these few symbols in your mind. And these passages will begin to open up to you. I challenge you to read the prophets realizing that God has written these terrible slash wonderful words to you. I say it that way, terrible slash wonderful, because even though God's warnings are pretty graphic and violent, on the one hand anyway, on the other hand, they are just as graphically joyful and promise-filled. They are. There's a balance in 
the prophets. In these same prophecies, God includes magnificent pictures of the glory that awaits those who will respond to the recall to return to God, to be loyal, to live their lives according to His Word. As hard as God's messages can be to read, we've got to read them and understand them and respond to them. God's words through Jeremiah can save your life. In the passage we just read, God mentions that it's even against the law for us to be able to come back to Him after we've been unfaithful. But read further in the same chapter, and we find that God says that He'll take us back anyway. He will take us back anyway. Thanks to Jesus' death in our place, God can extend His grace and His mercy to us, His, His unfaithful wife, provided, provided, that we are sincere in our return, ashamed of our conduct, and determined to be faithful from now on. Can we come back to God after being unfaithful for so long? Oh, yes, we can. And incredibly, our return is his greatest desire. That's what he wants. Read the prophets. They're God's heart for you. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you're willing to be so painfully and brutally honest with us. We're sorry for the ways that we have left you, the ways that we have been unfaithful, and the ways that we continue to do so without even realizing. Thank you that your heart for us is that you want us back. Even though everything would seem to be against us, that, that there would be no reason at all that we could come back, that that is what you want and that you've made a way for it to happen. Lord, help us to be faithful. We're not even capable in our own strength. But today, we want to come back. Give us the heart for you that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining Pastor Jeff Scoggins today for Worship in Spirit and Truth. We would love to hear your thoughts about the program, and your financial support is also greatly appreciated so that we can continue bringing you these kinds of programs. Tell your friends they can find the program Spirit and Truth right here on this station. Stay tuned for contact information and more details from your local station to follow. Until next time, keep your mind fixed on Jesus.
This is Pastor Jeff Scoggins. Thank you for listening to Spirit and Truth. Often listeners contact me or the station wanting to know how to get a copy of a specific program or more information. All of these programs are archived as podcasts, and many of them are on video as well. You can find relevant links at my website, www.scoggins.biz. You will also find books and Bible study resources there as well. So if you didn't get to hear one of these programs all the way through or missed one in a series, you can find it by visiting scoggins.biz. That's S-C-O-G-G-I-N-S dot B-I-Z.